There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio, bringing you the latest reports from the Whitetail Woods. And now, your host, Spencer Newharth. Welcome to Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio, powered by First Light. I'm Spencer Newharth, and this week's episode of Rut Fresh is all about beating that September shift. Welcome to Wired to Hunt's Rot Fresh Radio. And joining me on the podcast this week to set the table for our September 15th episode is not Mark Kenyon, but instead it is the best damn public land whitetail hunter I know. And I've been introducing him that way for probably the last five years. And that is Tony Peterson. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing well, buddy. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. And uh, the reason I have you on to intro this week is because this coming weekend you're going to be heading to Wisconsin for their deer opener. And so I want to talk to you in advance about what that hunt is going to look like. Um, now, knowing you as I do, Tony, you don't have always these traditional textbook early season whitetail setups where you're 15 feet of a tree on the edge of a bean field in September, like most hunters are. Um, so what are some of the setups going to look like for you this weekend in Wisconsin? Well, I'm, you know, I'm taking one of my nine-year-old twin daughters, so it's, this does not look like a typical early season hunt. I mean, we've got, <clears throat> I've got several blinds out and I, I do have a couple that are playing right on the food source edges, but most of them are kind of built into some sort of travel route or staging area playing off somebody else's food source. So, you know, maybe a distant bean field or alfalfa field or something, but we'll, we'll be set up mostly in the woods. And I, I kind of did that because, you know, with a, with a kid in school, we only get to hunt Saturday and Sunday. I got, you know, go over late Friday night, come back Sunday night. And so we only get four sits and I want to be able to hunt those mornings. And so, you know, a typical field ed setup, you, you're just not going to hunt it in the morning. And so I'm always looking for that opportunity to get out there and sneak in, catch them coming back from that food source before they go to bed. So that's, that's kind of how my setups look over there is, you know, it's playing off those destination food sources, but not necessarily right on top of them. I feel like in the past that you've had a lot of success hunting water this time of year. Is that going to be a factor at all for this Wisconsin hunt? Nope. 
even though, you know, other states are, you know, there's a lot of drought going on and it's pretty dry out there and it would be a real good pattern where we're at in Northern Wisconsin, there's water everywhere. And so they're just, it's just not the, the top priority resource over there because of just the abundance. And so we're, we're playing right off of food and travel this year. And I know for this hunt and for other hunts, probably for the next month, you're going to be focused on staging areas. How do you identify a staging area that you think is going to be productive, especially in mid-September? Um, you know, just just walking in there, it, part of it goes back to the, the kind of March scouting or the late winter scouting and identifying those spots with some rubs and stuff. And then, you know, I was just in there last weekend looking around, just kind of finalizing everything and started to see some rubs, started to see some sign. You just kind of read it and go, okay, well, there's a, there's an alfalfa field 200 yards away from this spot and they got to cross a road. They're not going to like that. And so they're going to probably do that in the dark. So where are they going to set up to browse around, make these rubs and, you know, play off of that, that pattern a little bit. So it's always just like, where do they feel comfortable in the cover? Where are they laying down sign right now? And where can we get in? So we're not spooking them and getting too close to the bedding or, you know, when we're leaving too close to the food source. And so it's kind of like a, it's a moving target, but you know, when they start laying down sign, it gets a heck of a lot easier and they're doing that right now. Now, last question here, Tony, um, you said one of your nine-year-old twin daughters is coming with you to hunt. What's wrong with the other one? Why, why don't you want to take her hunting? <laughs> she gets next, she gets the following weekend. Mm. So they get, I have to split them up. Otherwise it's just a little bit too much. <laughs> and so they go, my one daughter's going to go this weekend and then my other daughter will go the next weekend. So really my first two weeks of the season, all I'm going to be doing is guiding nine-year-olds and we, I'm so <laughs> excited because we're hunting, we're hunting legal deer and we've got tags for everything. So nobody, nobody, unless they come in spotted, nobody's safe. And is there a coin flip situation? Are you drawing straws or how do you determine who gets what weekend? So because of how turkey season worked out for them, my one, my one daughter killed the first night and the other one. She worked her tail off and didn't get one. So she got the choice to be, all right, am I choosing to go first for the deer and play that card or am I going later? And so she, she picked the first weekend because her, her sister had killed the, the big turkey last spring. All right. Well, that's, that's some hot tip on parenting that you don't <laughs> normally get on this podcast. Um, now, the idea is, Tony, that I'm going to talk to you next week again. We're going to hear how that haunt went. Uh, see if your predictions and, and what you think is going to happen on this hunt came true. Um, until then, we have some reading material for our listeners that, that you're included in this list. This is stuff that's relevant for right now to whitetail hunters. So if, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast and you want more information, check uh, our description of the podcast. You're going to find these articles linked. And what we have is how Mark Drury predicts buck movement based on wind by Emily Kantner. That's a really fascinating piece. Uh, then we have how to deer hunt big tracks of public land from Tony Peterson. If, if you're um, in the South and, and you got some big, big forest area, if you're in the West, you got some open grasslands, that's going to be relevant for you. And then Mark Kenyon's article on how to set up a ground blind that won't spook deer uh, which I think is relevant to a lot of September hunters, especially if you're guiding some nine-year-olds. Absolutely, man. Awesome. All right, Tony. Well, I'm going to talk to you next week. Good luck to you and your nine-year-old daughter in Wisconsin. And thanks for joining me. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. All right. And joining us on the line next is Brian Christner from Knock and Release in Kentucky. Now, Brian, in Kentucky, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? 
on a scale one to 10, I would say it was an eight. Everyone concentrates, it seems like, on bean fields and all that kind of stuff as far as getting to the food source, you know. And the way our property has been set up, we actually concentrated more on the wood. Um, we put mineral out and uh, trying to catch those bucks moving from bedding um, to the food source or back and forth, How you know, mornings and evenings. We don't have the luxury of hunting a massive property. Our property is only about 200 acres. And with, you know, three of us hunting it, it's, it's kind of slim picking. But uh, the buck activity this last week when we were there was, they were all bachelored up pretty good. Um, still, my father-in-law had four deer, four bucks bachelored up together, religiously coming to the same areas. I, too, had a couple. My wife had, you know, a couple of hers all bachelored up still. And the activity was was good. It was it was really impressive in the woods. Um, as far as our bean fields and everything went, not a lot. It was interesting. We we uh, didn't see a lot of action in the in the beans itself. So, how close to the bedding do you think you're actually hunting right now? I would say we were within 100 to 150 yards of the bedding. Some thick areas where it then opened up to more hardwood areas. A lot of the activity that we were getting on the beans were 1 a.m., 2 a.m. So we, uh, we, were, we were within, within, within 150 yards of the bedding. So that's where we, we would catch these deer in the evenings headed towards the beans. But by the time they actually made their way down in the beans, it was after dark, 8 o'clock, 8.30. And then they would stay there and feed throughout the night. Do water sources factor into your early season setups at all? We have a lot of water on the property, actually. We have several creeks running through the property. So I'd say that's one of the big pros for us. Um, we don't, we really don't have a lot of issues with water, um, them finding water. So we, we set up along Creek bottoms, um, where Tiffany, my wife shot her buck this last week. It was about 85 yards from a Creek. Tell us more about that setup when your wife killed that buck on September 5th. So September 5th, she, we set that setup up this past summer in June. We set that couple hang ons, uh, in the middle of the woods, literally, it's, we knew they were bedding up on the ridge and, and the neighbor's property. The neighbor's property is real thick. And what they would do, they filter down through this, this hardwoods. And we were in a pretty thick area we cleared. But we knew they would come through there. And, uh, again, that area had no, no beans near it or anything. The closest bean field would be a good, uh, I'd say, 900 yards. Um, but they always walk through these woods and we cleared an area, small area, almost like we, we call it an ambush area. Kind of, they come through there. We was on a good deer, deer path. And, uh, we put our mineral out there and it was kind of a, a routine. These bucks were coming through. And that second morning, she, uh, or that second, that evening hunt that on that second day, she ended up, you know, she had, had choose, you know, she got to choose between two really good bucks. And, uh, Ended up getting it done then. Where are you running a lot of your trail cameras right now? Mainly our woods, just on paths. We lease our property, so the farmer made a, a, a perimeter road around the property, actually. So we actually took advantage of that, and we set up on these, you know, a road. When I say a road, it's not like a nice gravel road or nothing. It's just clay, and he just cleared it. Um, So we set up off these roads a lot of guys set up on the roads and they you know they're looking you know they want to see the whole road and see what's coming down there we actually went about 
30 yards back in and to where these deer are coming right down the road and you know they're not looking to their left or to the right they're kind of looking down the main road too so that's where our main focus was this last trip was the woods and where we set up our cameras was there don't get me wrong we had our cameras on the field and that did help i mean it showed us what was on the field but again it's it was so hard to to pattern those deers the deer on the beans because it was in the middle of the night half the time um so yeah, I'd say our, our trail cameras were definitely running in the woods 90% of the time. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Kentucky? Opening week's always great. Again, I rated it as an 8. I would say for our area, we're in Monroe County, which is like South Central. I would say it's more going to be like the 7, 7, a 6 or 7, just because of, you know, with us being, you know, in our area and the activity that we talk to neighboring farms and neighbors and they know we've seen a lot of bachelor groups break off from being in groups, but then it just, I guess, I think it all depends on where you're at, how much pressure these deer get. Um, we get a lot of deer that are, that are hard horned already and still have full velvet. Um, so I would say, I'd say our area in Monroe County, Kentucky was, would be a six for this next week. The weather's supposed to be good, so I just got to get out there and try. <laughs> All right, Brian, congrats to your wife, Tiffany, on that great buck. Good luck with the rest of your season, and thanks for joining me. Yep, I appreciate it. Joining us on the line next is David Giarizzo in North Dakota from Tag and Bragg. Now, David, in North Dakota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Honestly, I would probably say the buck activity has been about a 3. Um, I think just coming out of this new moon, and the weather being very, very stagnant up there. They're, they're in a drought, or we're in drought right now up here, and um, the weather has just been, you know, upper 70s, low 80s, not getting real cool at night. There's not much of a weather change over the past week or so, and that's made the hunting really tough. The, the mature bucks, for sure, have been very nocturnal, not a lot of morning movement. We kind of base where we're hunting on the morning movement, or at least the close to daylight movement in the morning that we observe on cameras and it just really hasn't been there. So I'd say probably about a three at the highest right now. Now you just killed a giant in North Dakota, a big five by four that you can see at team tag and Bragg's Instagram. David, tell us about that hunt, how that went down, why you were in that area and why that buck was in that spot. You know what? It was, uh, it's kind of crazy. Something a little unusual for this time of year. It was a buck that we had never seen before we've had cameras up here in north dakota for about a month or so and have not seen this buck yet but the corn up here being that there is a drought this year is very short so a lot of the farmers are cutting it right now for silage and there was two different cornfields within a mile of this particular spot that got cut um within 24 hours and that this buck that i shot showed up on camera at 7:30 in the morning in daylight once again, that's kind of what we bank our hunting efforts on up there, especially this time of year, because normally when you see a buck in daylight in the morning or close to daylight in the morning, he's bedding close. There's a good chance you get eyes on him or get close to him in the afternoon. And that's, uh, you know, we were fortunate to be in the right spot at the right time, took advantage of that opportunity. And on a slow hunting week for us, 
it it paid off and we're going home with a buck in the truck. Now you mentioned that you've been running trail cameras there for the last month. Where are those trail cameras set up in the early season? So we're set up, we try and get as close as we can to, you know, to known bedding areas that we've, um, that we've experienced in the past and putting them on the edge of the beans. And I think that's one of the other reasons where, why the, the movement shifted so much because over the last week and a half that we've been up here, the beans have gone from green to defoliating very quickly just because of the dry weather. So the bucks aren't feeding on the beans as much and we've had to shift to tree rows. We're actually seeing a lot of scrapes pop up, which is kind of unusual. And we haven't seen that as much in the, the years that we've been hunting up here in the past, at least this time of year. So we've moved our trail cameras to scrapes. That's worked out to get bucks on camera, but still the daylight activity has been few and far between. You've mentioned a few times that it's very dry right now and the area's been in a drought. Has water uh, factored into any of your setups then this year? Oh, absolutely. You almost, you have to be near water because the bucks, if they're not betting in the corn, they're betting in the cattail sloughs close to water. And a lot of the sloughs that normally hold water that are maybe like a quarter acre to an acre, even a couple acres, are completely dried up. So the bigger lakes, and cattail sloughs are the only things that are holding water. And it's, it's kind of centralized the deer movement, which has been nice. Um, and it's, and it's, since we put the trail cameras out there about a month ago, we started getting a ton of pictures right off the bat because of it, because we kind of centralized around the water. Um, but you know, like I said, the daylight activity just hasn't been there over the last week. And I think the weather's played a, a big part in that. Now, for as long as I have known you and your brother, you guys have made trips to North Dakota in early September. In that time period by now, have you picked up on some historical patterns and how do those factor into your setups when you come back each year? Yeah, there's definitely those go-to spots that we have. Um, Like I said, you got those, I mean, we call them like buck palaces, the cattail sloughs or the, the, the specific bedding areas that we focus on. And Anything that revolves around cover, if beans meet the cover, it's normally a good area. You add water into the mix and you can almost guarantee that you're going to have deer there. But the biggest thing is trying to glass and find the deer because once you find, you know, one, two, a couple different bucks, normally, you know, deer attract deer. Um, so we centralize and focus on those areas and you know, we've definitely found a pattern, like I said, where the beans meet the cover and water is, I mean, those are dynamite spots for us to set up. And when we're setting up trail cameras, you know, a couple of weeks before the season, that's really where we focus. And then based on that trail camera knowledge or the, or the information that we're getting, we kind of make our, our shifts accordingly from there. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in North Dakota? Honestly, I I would say probably a 4 because looking at the forecast, it's going to be in the 80s all week. I think the only benefit right now is going to be the last couple days of the red moon. I shot my buck on the second day of the red moon. We got a couple more days left. I think the early portion of this week is going to be the best hunting of the week and there's rain coming in later this afternoon, which in the past 
you get a rainstorm and you got a couple hours where that rainstorm moves out in the afternoon and, and the sun peaks back out in the afternoon, those are magical, magical days. The deer want to get up, shake themselves off, dry off, and they typically start feeding pretty early during that, you know, during those specific days. So I think t- today is going to be the best day of the week. Um, but as the week goes on, I, I, I honestly think it's going to get just worse and worse hunting wise, because it's going to go back to that stagnant weather. And, you know, the buck movement, especially the mature buck movement is probably going to be subdued because of it. All right, David, congrats again on the great buck. Good luck with the rest of your season. And thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. All right. And joining us on the line next is Taylor Chamberlain from the hunt urban YouTube channel in Virginia. Now, Taylor in Virginia, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? On a scale of one to 10, I'd put buck activity at a solid seven to an eight. Um, I'm seeing deer on their feet a ton right now. They're hitting food sources. We've got the first uh, bit of acorn trees, white oaks that are starting to drop. Um, and that mass, as soon as it hits the ground around here, is just getting gobbled up. So on top of that, we've had a large weather system push, for, push through. Uh, we've had traditionally much cooler temperatures than we normally get and so the deer are on their feet they're on their feet longer in the morning hours and also up much earlier in the afternoons i'm even seeing really good midday movement the last you know five to eight days have just been exceptional as far as deer movement both in the field and also on my cameras that i'm seeing so uh it's been really really good besides acorns what other food sources are relevant for whitetails in those urban environments well, I mean, deer around here and in, in any urban environment where you have a large overpopulation of whitetail, um, they tend to be, you know, eating at any opportunity they can. We see uh, a lot of deer eating shrubs, plants, uh, hostas, anything that's palatable for them, uh, which is why when those acorns start dropping or maybe some persimmon trees, any, any tree or plant that has soft mass on it, uh, as soon as that's ripe and hitting the ground, the deer are just going to crush it. Uh, the only thing that they don't like are, you know, the red oaks, which they will eat. I kind of equate those to like Taco Bell at two o'clock in the morning right now, where um, it, it, it's something that's palatable, but you're going to regret it later. And the deer with all those tannins in it, uh, I think it upsets their stomach for a little bit. That's why they tend to find those white oaks uh, or any type of apple tree, persimmon tree more palatable. You mentioned that your trail cameras have been lighting up lately. Where are your trail cameras running in early September? So early September, they're all on food sources. Uh, any oak tree and the, you can kind of tell it looks like turkeys scratching on the leaves. Um, pretty easy to spot the trails that are coming in and out of those food areas. So I like to have them right where the trail is kind of entering the feeding area. I don't like to have a ton of just feeding pictures because I just, I don't need, you know, 300 pictures of those feeding on acorns. I want to see what's coming and going, but I like to have a camera kind of parallel to where that trail is entering rather than have a picture of a deer head on because I find that the bucks will like to enter on a slightly different parallel trail from where those does are coming into a food source. And so if I can have a little bit of topography there or just kind of take a picture where I'm shooting across the parallel trails, that's where I find the best uh, trail camera locations to be on those white oak flats. 
What's the status of bachelor groups and bucks in velvet right now in Virginia? Uh, I'd say about 85 to 90% of bucks are no longer in velvet. Uh, I drove around last night doing some scouting. I saw um, multiple bachelor groups and I still have pictures on camera of bachelor groups. So I think they're just now getting ready to break up. But for the most part, I'd say the majority of bucks are in bachelor groups with the exception of a couple of uh, big mature deer that I've seen out on their own. But at the same time, uh, last night in a couple of bachelor groups, I saw um, some big mature deer in those groups. So I, I think that the majority of deer are still in bachelor groups, but they're coming out of velvet. Very few are still in velvet and they should be breaking off and going into a less traditional summer feeding pattern any day now. Taylor, I know you do almost all mobile run and gun setups. How does your gear list or your setups change in early season versus October or November or December? Well, right now, I mean, I'm, I'm going in as light as possible. So I, uh, you know, trying to mitigate sweat, which for me, I'm a big dude and I'm probably not in the best shape I could be. Um, so, you know, sweat's going to happen for me, um, but I'm going in light. I'm normally running just a very lightweight top and uh, lightweight pants. I make sure that I'm very sprayed down with permethrin. Um, as I'm sitting here giving you this interview, I'm picking ticks off my arm. I just got out of the woods. Um, but as I get it later into the season, I mean, it's all about spending more time in the tree as we get into later October, early November. So uh, right now I'm going in light. And as we get later into the season, I'm just going to bring more layers with me and probably more snacks. Um, but, you know, my kit pretty much has everything in it that I need from day one, uh, with the exception of layers and um, changing from water to coffee as we get later in the season. How about with your saddle or your sticks? Does anything change there in September? No. Uh, so my saddle just and sticks are always the exact same, uh, unless I'm running, you know, some sort of prototype gear or whatever, but, uh, my one sticks and I've been running the, the Phantom XL, um, now for a pretty good while. And, um, you know, that's just always ready to go in the back of my car, uh, just ready to rock. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Virginia? Uh, I think it's probably going to slow down. I'd give it like a four compared to what it is now. Um, I've been using some different predictability apps. Um, one of them being called Spartan Forge, which predicts kind of when deer are moving and where, um, and what they've determined and discovered is that like deer will feed for a period until they're satiated. And then once they're satiated, they're not going to have these long feeding spurts. And so I think we're at the end of that major feeding spurt that we just saw correlated with the cooler weather. And as it gets warmer, the deer are going to kind of lay low until the next feeding event occurs. All right, Taylor, good luck with the rest of your season. Great intel. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Spencer. Good luck to everybody out there. All right. And joining us on the line last is Jake Hipschman from the hunting public in Wyoming. Now, Jake in Wyoming, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? I would say uh, seven or eight. The weather when we were out there, it was uh, a little warmer. But, I mean, the nice thing about hunting those western states that, that we like is you can always just get up to a vantage point, it seems like, where you can get somewhere and see a long ways and observe a bunch of stuff. So the weather doesn't doesn't play as big of a factor. It doesn't seem like just because our style of hunting, we like to get up on an elevated knob usually and watch over a bunch of ground and just try to get eyes on the animals, especially in the morning. 
and then hopefully if you do get eyes on the animal you can either try to make a stalk throughout the day or just get somewhere close to where you last seen them to set up in the afternoon and we have pretty good luck doing that so i mean i'd say it was seven or eight if the weather would have been cooler maybe we would have had even better luck but as far as just getting eyes on bucks we had pretty good luck when we were out there on our website wired to hunt we've had mark kenyon write in the past about how one of his favorite features to hunt whether he's in maine or montana are water crossings because they're so easy to to locate and they're great for hunting year round tell me about hunting those jake and what you like about those in september well i'll just start with when we first got out there it seemed like it had been really dry like the we we'd ended up hunting along this uh river but it was more of a creek i mean it was you could about jump across it in most places then we got a bunch of rain and uh it seemed like the deer weren't used to it, the river being as high as it was after we got all that rain. I mean, the river was 20, 30 yards wide, rushing pretty good. And we got a video on the channel of, of all this, but uh, basically we got up to one of the two knobs that we ended up kind of focusing in on in the morning. And uh, there was three bucks feeding out on, on an alfalfa field that we had seen them out on a couple nights earlier. They were still out there on that field during daylight, but as soon as the sun popped up they pretty much just made a beamline for uh the same place that a bunch of does had crossed earlier that morning and every single deer that we saw throughout this bottom was going to this certain spot in the river this little oxbow to cross and it was right down river of a beaver dam the water must have been more shallow there and all the deer knew this so that morning we watched i don't know seven or eight deer cross on the same exact trail so we, uh, we figured they weren't very far down in the river bottom, and uh, we basically just got as close as we could to the river on that clock crossing. There wasn't much cover out there. There was just a couple uh, sage bushes right up against the river that we tucked behind, and we ended up having uh, those same three bucks come across just out of range that afternoon. So, um, I don't know. I think just the combination of observing and sitting back and waiting and kind of waiting to find something that we can focus in on. That's kind of what we were waiting for for three, four, five days there. And then we'd realized all these bucks after their server came up were crossing on this one trail. So we finally made our move. We just, uh, we didn't, we weren't quite close enough to the trail. There was basically two trails that we could see crossing the river and we picked the run, one that was about 10 yards too far away from uh, what we felt comfortable shooting at them. So. You mentioned that you were watching some bucks on alfalfa. What other food sources were relevant for that hunt in Wyoming? There wasn't uh, a lot of crop in that area. That was about the only crop field that we uh, we even noticed. It was mostly just uh, um, natural browse type stuff. Uh, Greg Greg was calling them sunflowers, so I'm assuming that's what they actually were. He, he knows a lot more about that stuff than I do. But just those little yellow flowers, they're not the traditional sunflowers I'm used to seeing, like row crop sunflowers. Midwest, but they were just like a smaller yellow flower, and basically the deer were bedding down. There's a hunt that uh, is on the channel as well of where Ted and Greg stalked a buck that was bedded down on this stuff, but they're bedding in it just because they can stand up throughout the day and browse on it too. There's just a bunch of different uh, plants that are growing within them too, and there's footage of like those bucks standing up in that stuff and feeding on it, but it's tall enough where they feel like they're in cover too, I think. I know you boys do a lot of hunting from the ground. 
How is it different hunting from the ground for whitetails in early September versus the rest of the year, say October or November? Oh boy. I mean, you just got a lot more cover this time of year. So, I mean, as far as, uh, getting shots, it might make it a little tougher. Like in that video that we have where Ted and Ted and Greg got close to that buck in those sunflowers, they were within 20 yards of them for, I don't know, I think it was two, three hours. But, uh, and he stood up a couple times, but everything in the vegetation was just too thick where he couldn't get a sheep. Like he wasn't comfortable taking the shot. Um, seems like as everything dies off it's just a little bit easier everything everything uh all the foliage stuff just uh gets lower to the ground as it dies obviously and just getting shots might be a little bit easier so you might have to be a little bit more uh careful about where you're picking to set up and making sure you're going to be able to get a shot when the deer actually come in going forward then in this next week or so what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in wyoming it didn't seem like, like as we got there, the bucks were interacting with each other near as much, which, uh, especially when they're bachelored up, like it seems like you're always seeing them early season, especially, uh, just knock heads together, you know, and do a little sparring and just kind of start to, uh, set that pecking order. And as, as, uh, we were leaving Wyoming, it seemed like there was a lot more of that going on where like bucks were starting to lose their velvet. They're starting to spar a little bit more and bachelor groups are starting to break up. It seemed like. Like even in some of that footage, like there's uh the two, there was two nice bucks that came in of the three. One of them was hard horned, and the other one was in velvet still. And that hard horned one kind of nudged the the velvet eight pointer around. Even though, I mean, uh, the other buck was it looked like he's bigger bodied, maybe a year older deer, and I mean he had bigger antlers. But that that hard horned smaller antler buck kind of nudged him around. I don't know if it was just because he he uh, hadn't lost his velvet yet, or he or he had lost his velvet yet already. But I'd say there's going to be a lot more of that going on as they kind of start to set the pecking order throughout that river bottom there. If you want to see the haunt that Jake has been talking about, you can see it right now on the Hunting Public's YouTube channel. Uh, the one video is titled Deer Hunting, a Beaver Dam. The other is Big Wyoming Public Land Whitetails. Uh, thank you for joining me, Jake, and good luck with the rest of your fall. And that concludes this week's episode of Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Brian, David, Taylor, and Jake for joining me. And thank you guys for listening. Remember, those reading materials can be found in the description of the website about how Mark Jury predicts buck movement based on wind, how Tony Peterson says you should be deer haunting big tracks of public land, and how to set up a ground blind that won't spook deer from Mark Kenyon. I will talk to you next week. And until then, stay wired to hunt. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today 
at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.